Hey, what's up, folks? Hope you're doing well. You're listening to the Aaron J. Dodson podcast. And this is the podcast where I discuss the sacred text of God's Word. And I do my best to help myself and others understand it so that we might keep God's law and we might observe it with our whole hearts as the psalmist so desired to do in the long ago. Psalm 119, verse 34. In this episode of the Aaron J. Dodson podcast, I'm going to be continuing my study of Matthew. So if you'd like to open up to Matthew chapter 18, we'll be looking at greatness and forgiveness. Keep in mind, and I've said this each time as we look at Matthew in these episodes, that Matthew is the gospel account written by a Jew to Jews about a Jew. Matthew is the writer. His countrymen are the readers, and Jesus Christ is his subject. His purpose is to present Jesus as the King of the Jews, the long-awaited Messiah. And, and, and Matthew does this through a carefully selected series of Old Testament quotes. He documents Jesus' claim to be the Messiah. He looks at his genealogy, his baptism, his messages, his miracles, and he says, look, all of these things point to the same inescapable conclusion. Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. He is king. And as we consider greatness and forgiveness in this episode, think about how much athletes put in to what they do. The uh, time period in which I'm doing this episode, uh, just a few weeks or less removed from the Super Bowl, all the work and effort that the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, the winners of uh, this year's Super Bowl here in 2024, all the work and effort they put in to win uh, showed that they were great athletes in the football realm. And to others, that shows that they are great. Uh, it was a repeat championship two years in a row, first time in 20 years since the Patriots uh, won two in a row. First team since the Patriots to win two Super Bowls in a row. And in the eyes of many, that is greatness. And, and in the athletic world, it is. In the sports world, that that is greatness. That's, that's incredible to do that, a great feat. Congratulations to them. In the scheme of life, and I here's something interesting. Uh, I heard the quarterback for the 49ers, and I can't remember his name because I'm, I'm not a big NFL fan. I don't watch it very often. I, occasionally I watch some, but I just don't remember his name. But the quarterback for the 49ers in the Super Bowl this year between the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers this guy, I saw a clip. I can't remember it, but I think it was before. Well, no, now that I think, I think it was after the game, you know, maybe a day or two. I can't remember. He used the words about keeping sports in perspective, that this was very important to him because, obviously, he has a contract that's worth millions of dollars and, and, and you know, he can get fired. But he says, look, in the big scheme of life, I put it in its, you know, in its proper perspective. And that's not a direct quote, but – he, he indicated that that he has goals in life that are bigger than football that direct his goals in football, if I understand him correctly. Maybe that guy is thinking in the right direction about greatness. I hope that he is, and, and I hope that uh, he would and does seek God's Word and that he would obey God's written Word. Greatness. When Jesus and his 
three close disciples came down from Mount Transfiguration. They had seen greatness, Peter, James, and John. When the disciples saw Jesus pay the temple tax for he and Peter, perhaps the other disciples thought Christ was playing favorites. I don't know that. Maybe they thought he was neglecting them. You know, Peter, James, and John, they go with Jesus in certain places that we don't. Perhaps there was some level of division among them, and they did ask Jesus the question about who would be the greatest in this chapter. And in another setting, they ask, you know, can we have certain positions in your kingdom? And so what exactly prompted them to ask, Matthew 18, verse 1, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven, we may not know for sure. I'm, I'm thinking it's very possible that it was their own desires and their own, you know, wishes that they asked this question. But I hope that they asked it sincerely. <clears throat> the thing is, is they did go to the right source to ask the question. Which reminds me that we need to go to Jesus to ask questions. Ask the right questions, ask good questions, and ask Jesus questions. It was during that time, at that time, Matthew 18, 1, that the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And what Jesus does is he calls a little child to himself, and he sets the child in the midst, and he says, Assuredly, I say to you, verily, verily, the idea is I make this solemn declaration to you. Unless you're converted and you become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. So Jesus gives them an object lesson. He says, look, a child, honor, humility, Children are humble. They are teachable. They are simple in their wants. They have expectant attitudes. They are tender. They are innocent. They are precious. They depend on their fathers to meet their needs. And so he gives this object lesson. You become Greatness is humility, knowing your proper place, your proper role, having this tender and kind disposition and being simple, simple to, to be content, to, to be pleased, if you will, De dependent on your father, be teachable. There are a lot of other things we can consider. You know, children get excited about important things. They get they get excited about spiritual things. They, they get excited about small things. And they're, and they're zealous. They're excited. They're, they're engaging. Unless you're converted and becomes little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus warns not to hinder a little one from coming to him, from knowing him. He says, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, and that no doubt would include little children and all people, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Well, that's an extreme illustration, 
But that's the case. We better not cause little ones, children, and others to stumble, to sin. Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame and maimed, lame or maimed rather, than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. He warns them, don't hinder them from coming to God. And I wonder how often the behavior of adults have hindered children from coming to God. You might think, well, children are innocent. They don't need to come to God. They don't need to repent. They don't need to be baptized. I'm not talking about a child doing that. I'm talking about a child learning and developing and coming to God. As later in this gospel account, Matthew 19, 13 to 15, Jesus blessed the children. The disciples tried to rebuke the children from coming to Jesus and said, Jesus said, stop that. Let them come to me. Don't forbid them. Stop forbidding them. For of such is the kingdom of God. Of heaven, and Jesus laid his hands on them there, and he departed from there. He warns them. He he gives an illustration. You want to know who the greatest is? A child. You need to be like a child. And he warns them: don't hinder children and others from entering the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, when you realize there's sin in your in your life, you take it out. He says, look, deal with your sins drastically. Deal with them completely. Deal with them mercilessly, merciless, without mercy, I guess I should say. The, the way a surgeon would deal with a cancerous growth, don't play with sin. Don't hinder children from coming to God. And parents who sin and live lives of sin are are hindering their children from knowing God and receiving the love from the parents that God intends for the children to have. It's just a dangerous thing for parents and other adults to cause children to stumble and to miss the way of salvation. So having a good example in the home is important for the children, and it's important for the parents to be that good example. This is all wrapped up in greatness, I think. Take heed. Pay attention. Don't mess around with this. And, oh, I'm not saying something that any of my listeners would not already know and probably would not already believe they do. The homes in our country, they're hurting so badly. Mm Mm-mm-mm. And that's what's wrong with our country. Because children don't have loving mothers and fathers taking care of them, sacrificing for them, serving them, building them up, disciplining them when needed. Well, you 
I don't, I, I don't need to convince you, but that is the truth of God's Word. So greatness is being like little children. We don't need to hinder the little children. We don't need to help them go in the wrong way. We need to remove sin from our lives so that we're good examples to them and that we're pure and holy <coughs> Excuse me, in the sight of God. Then after speaking on greatness, he then shifts into some lessons on forgiveness because God wants his people to be great in his sight. And it comes through knowing your proper role and being humble. And then he speaks on this so important subject, forgiveness. And he, he, so he's, you know, he goes from talking about children and the, the, the influence that adults have on them to the relationship between brethren. And he, and he says, moreover, you know, let me look back because I think I left out a few verses. Let's look at uh, verses 11 to 14 so we can tie that into verse 15. For the Son of Man has come to, uh, to save that which was lost. What do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that, over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father, who is in heaven, that one of you, that one of these little ones, should perish. So again, saying the same thing I've said before: parents, adults, do not be a bad influence. Do not let your guard down. Be a godly example for your children and other young people around you. It is God's will that these little ones not perish, but instead that they grow up and they have the foundation that they need and they not fall away from what they know is right and what they're taught that's right. So many kids growing up are not taught what is right by word and or deed from their parents. Verse 15, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Now, the next one, the parable of the unforgiving servant, verses 21 to 35, are extremely important, but I'm not going in this episode to go into those final verses. But I am going to talk about forgiveness and family matters. I'm talking about brotherhood. Breath. Let me correct that. I didn't mean to say brotherhood like, you know, my brethren in California and I'm in Northeast Arkansas. I'm talking about brethren within my vicinity, people that I'm connected to, that I know of, that I see, etc. He talks about forgiveness and church discipline. He says, I've got a pattern for you to follow a blueprint. When a brother does you wrong, first, go for a private interview. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Paul's there. 
Sadly, often what people do is they tell or talk to someone about that brother or sister who's wronged them to other people. So let's just say, and I'm going to make up a scenario with somebody that my listeners might know. Uh, let's just say Barry O'Dell, my good friend Barry O'Dell up in Mammoth, Arkansas, Mammoth Spring, Arkansas. Let's say he did me wrong. And instead of going to him, I go to Tony Brewer or Brock Kendall or someone else. I go to someone else and I talk about Barry. Shame on me is my point. I have transgressed God's law because what I'm told to do is go to him, go and tell him his fault between you and him, and him alone. I mean, that's just very powerful. Go for a private interview. So we've got to stop this going to other people and telling them, hey, do you know what Aaron did? I can't believe Aaron said so-and-so. I can't believe Aaron did this, did that. Stop that. If you're doing that, stop that. Instead, go to the brother or the sister that offended you. And that's why from time to time I try to remember to say when I'm preaching uh, here in the local congregation where I'm at, look, folks, brothers, sisters, if you have a problem with me, do, don't go to the elders. Don't don't go to a deacon. Don't go to your, you know, your friend in the congregation, your your grandmother in the congregation, or whatever. Come to me. Come and talk to me, and me alone. That's what Jesus said, Matthew eighteen fifteen. Now here's the point of it: if he hears you, you have gained your brother. That's the point in going to your brother. You're going with the desire to gain them back to. Help them to know they've sinned against you and you are ready to extend forgiveness, that you love them and you wish them well and you want them to be right with God and you want to be right with them and with God. It's, it's just that simple. But note the next thing. Then, Jesus says, if, if they won't hear you, if he won't hear you, Take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. So the first step is a private interview. Then bring two or three witnesses. Two or three witnesses. So these witnesses are individuals who can go and serve as moral support, and they can listen and serve as witnesses to what you say to this brother or this sister. Let me make some biblical suggestions here. If you go to someone who has wronged you and they reject you, they say, well, I didn't do nothing wrong, or they ignore you, or they don't uh, repent of their sins. Because Luke 17, 1 through 3 says that in order to be able to forgive someone who's wronged us, they are required to repent. Jesus said, If your brother sins against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. We can't extend forgiveness if a person won't repent. Now, that doesn't mean that prior to a brother's repentance, we need to think in our hearts, Ha ha, I don't have to forgive them because they hadn't repented yet. No, we need to be like the loving father in the parable of Luke 15, we want them to repent. We're hoping that they will. We believe that they will. We're trying everything that we can do to help them come to a change of heart. Okay? But keeping in mind that the purpose is to gain your brother. If you don't gain them, if you don't are not able to fix it, 
take one or two more with you. One or two. doesn't say two or three. One or two more. And these witnesses need to be people that you just say something like this to them. You say, hey, I'm trying to work something out with a member. And I went to them. They won't listen. Will you go with me and serve as a witness to help me to bring them back to God or to reconcile the problem that I have with them or they have with me? In other words, in the scenario I mentioned a moment ago, some of you know Barry O'Dell, my good friend at Mammoth Spring, Arkansas. If Barry O'Dell, if he did me wrong, if he hasn't, but if he did, I wouldn't then go to someone and say, uh, hey, uh, let's just make up another name, a name that uh, I don't, somebody, I don't know anybody personally with the name Xavier. Let's say I go to Brother Xavier, uh, who's a member of, uh, in the local congregation where I and Barry are. And I say, I say, Brother Xavier, uh, something has happened between me and Barry. Will you go with me and help me as I try to reconcile my relationship with him? Yeah, I'll go. Xavier says, okay, well, that's good. I don't go. I'm not to go to, to Brother Xavier and say, hey, you won't believe what Barry did to me. Barry did me wrong. And let me tell you, let me back back up. Last Saturday, here's what happened. Da 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 da. No. Because by doing that, I'm tainting Xavier. I'm tainting the witness. I'm making the witness jaded. The purpose of the witness to go is to be one that's actually a witness, to witness what happens, to be innocent. When 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 jurors are are picked, they're supposed to be as Neutral and as innocent as possible. Not someone, you know, who personally knows the person being tried and they have a personal issue or personal problem with that person because, you know, five years before, the person uh, on trial beat up the juror's brother. <laughs> you know. So I think I've illustrated maybe too much, but or you, you get what I'm saying. The motive for church discipline is to gain your brother, even when you take two or three witnesses, and also so that so that every word may be established. So somebody can't back come back and say, Barry, in that illustration, could come back and say, well, no, Aaron didn't say that. When he came to me, he came to me and he cursed me. Well, if I you know took two witnesses to go, then they would witness what has become bigger than just a one-on-one -on -one problem. All right? And so here we have two or three witnesses establishing the validity of this event and the words that were said in this exchange. The third step is to tell the church. I'm finding my place here. Verse 17. And if he refuses to hear them, that's the two or three witnesses that you, that you take, tell it, tell the matter, to the church. Again, why? To gain your brother, to get them to repent of their sins. This is a sinful matter. If your brother sins against you, they have violated God's will against you. Okay? Not just, you know, something tiny. Now look, folks, if there's something tiny and it's actually really bothering you, then go to that person and work it out and talk to them. That's the only thing you can do. Matthew 
1817, if, if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. All right. That means that at this step, on the third step, the, when the one offended tells the church, the church is to be heard. The church is then to reach out to, and the snare I gave, uh, Barry O'Dell, my good friend, if he wronged me and I went to him and he wouldn't listen, he didn't repent, I couldn't get through to him, I take two or three witnesses with me, he wouldn't listen to them, I tell the matter to the church, and the next thing says, and if you won't hear the church, that means that, 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 that they need to listen to the church, or they need to actually literally hear the church, go to them, come to them, and encourage them and talk to them and encourage and motivate them best they can, warn them God's word to repent, to reconcile with me, okay? So our attitude should be, again, gain the brother. And at this point, it's not to stand up in front of the church and say, you won't believe what Barry did. Barry did this to me privately, and then I took two or th I went to him privately, and he wouldn't listen. And then I took two or three weeks, he wouldn't listen to them. I'm telling you, the dude needs to be fired. And, and I told it to the church. The whole, no, you tell the church, and like the witnesses, you go with a desire to gain your brother. You tell the church, say, look, I'm sad and I'm hurt. Barry has wronged me. I went to him. He wouldn't listen. I took two guys with me, two brothers. He wouldn't listen. He kicked us out of his house. I'm now petitioning the whole church. Help me. Help me to reach Barry. I love Barry. He's God's child. He's my brother. He's in sin. He, he's, letting, he's letting it fester. He won't listen to us so far. Please, brothers. Please, sisters. Call on him. Go to him. Reason with him. Help him come back to God. I want us to think for a moment how often that may or may not have happened in the history of the Lord's church. I don't know. But I wouldn't be surprised if this is one of the least obeyed commands in Scripture. I wouldn't be surprised. God would know. But just from my own perspective and my own observation, this is the least obeyed. Because I don't hardly ever hear of brethren going through this process as they should. What I often hear is I hear about someone's sin through another person. And I want to address that. That is a sin that will damn a soul to hell because they've not obeyed Matthew 15, 18. When we know our brother has sinned, and even if it wasn't directly against us, if we know they've sinned, the thing to do is to go to them and help them. Incidentally, my friend I've mentioned, my good friend Barry O'Dell in Mammoth Spring, he, he lives like an hour and 40 minutes away from me, okay? So I don't see him on a daily basis. I may talk to him. I may call him and pester him and ask him Bible questions on a regular basis. But I don't see him on a daily basis. I'm not a part of his physical daily life. You know, I'm not in his county, his city, his town, the congregation where he's at. But let's say, let's say I was. Let's say I lived in Mammoth Spring. I was a member of the congregation at Mammoth Spring in Mammoth Spring, Arkansas. And Barry did, you know, committed a sin, not personally against me, but I heard he had committed sin. 
well, I don't need to have heard that. Now, if in that scenario, Barry had sinned in public, that would be a different matter as far as like I would hear about that if it was public with unbelievers, you know, witnessing it. Word would travel around outside of the church, outside of the congregation. But let's say something happens between two brothers in private or a sin is committed and no brethren see it. No brethren. If brethren hear Barry has sinned, instead of talking to Aaron about it or the elders about it or a deacon or a Bible class teacher or your mom, your dad, your brother, your cousin, your wife, your anybody, if I'm in the same congregation with Barry O'Dell and I find out or I hear that he has, he has sinned, unless I find that out firsthand from Barry, I leave it alone. Because otherwise it's hearsay. If I do address it, I go to Barry. I don't go to someone else. I don't go to someone else and say, hey, did you hear Barry? Or is it true that Barry, no, go to them. Folks, and I want to say this. I'm going to leave Barry alone. I'm, I'm going to have to tell Barry that I use him in this. Otherwise, he may hear about it and think, wow. <laughs> Let me put this on me. If you hear I have sinned or done something wrong, come to me with the desire to gain me back to the Lord. Don't don't call and ask my elders. Don't don't ask my wife. Don't ask my children. Don't don't find who my parents are and contact them. Don't don't ask a friend in the car. Come to me and me alone. I go on all that rant there because this is often what happens. And what Christians are supposed to do is practice the truth, the principle of covering sin. Listen. Listen to listen to James 5:19 and 20. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, not tell someone else, turns him back, the person that sinned and wandered, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sin. So you went to that brother, that sister, and you helped them, you worked it out. You didn't tell other people. And by doing so, you covered a multitude of sins. If I hear that someone sins... That's hearsay. If I observe a brother or sister sin, it's not hearsay. I know they have, and I can go to them privately. Otherwise, I'm acting off of what someone else said, and that has hurt and destroyed individuals and congregations, and we got to put a stop to it. Preachers, elders, others, let's preach against this. Let's stop that. Think about it. Put yourself in, in, in this situation. Say, some brother came to you in the congregation, hey, I heard you did ABC. I mean, how does that make you feel? Especially if you didn't do it. How does that make you feel? Well, how'd you hear that? Well, member so-and-so told me. Whoa, brother ABC, sister ABCDEFG told you that I did what? Notice how that hurt. Love covers a multitude of sins. 
That means we go to the brother personally if we must. If they have sinned against us personally, then we're commanded to go to them. But I'm talking about a situation where we have heard something. We don't even know it's true. Look, if your conscience can't stand it, then go to him in private as respectfully as you can and talk to them. But don't say, so-and-so told me, so-and-so said. And my advice is to do your best to just don't go to someone if you've heard something. Don't function off what you've heard. Function off of what you know. I think what we need to do is we need to aspire to lead a quiet life. 1 Thessalonians 4.11 To mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. If we function off of he said, she said, we're not minding our own business. Now, minding our own business doesn't mean if we know Aaron's in sin, we don't go to him because we, quote, unquote, want to mind our own business. No, I'm talking about hearsay when we don't know it to be the case. We don't see the brother sinning. We don't know he hasn't admitted fault. Otherwise, it's just hearsay. It's just accusations. Why bring it up? I have had individuals tell me a revelation about another brother or sister, and I would not have known about that incident or that behavior or that perceived behavior if that person had not come to me and told me about so-and-so, about somebody else. Love covers a multitude of sins. So again, if I were in the same congregation with Barry O'Dell and I heard he had sinned, at most I would go to him personally and find out what was going on, find out how he was doing. I wouldn't go to him accusing, accusatory, no. But I would go in and, and, and see if there was something going on. And there are some circumstances where when we just hear something, hey, hey Aaron, did you hear Brother X did so-and-so? Why are you telling me that, brother? Don't tell me about Brother X. You go to Brother X. If you've heard about him, go to him. Don't come to me. Don't repeat something you've heard. Okay, I, I, I'm not indicting your intelligence. I just, I'm getting frustrated. I get frustrated that when, when we don't mind our own business, when we don't aspire to lead a quiet life, and that's, that's 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 11, brothers and sisters. When we don't do that, we are not walking properly toward those who are outside. Instead, we're walking improperly, and the world knows it. They smell it, they see it, they identify it, and they say, I don't want to be a part of that church. I don't want to be a part of that group. Now back to Matthew 18. If they won't hear the church, that means that the church needs to be told. It started out private. It was handled private, but it didn't get all the way handled. We tried to handle it privately. Then we did the next step. Two or more witnesses. I, I'm sorry. Let me correct myself. Matthew 18, 16. One or two more. And I think I may have said that incorrectly earlier too. Please forgive me. Take one or two more. So that their word and your word may be established. Verified. If they refuse to hear you and one or two others tell the church and if they refuse to hear the church again them refusing to hear the church it means the church talk to them reached out to them 
Okay? And the church is not just the elders and the preacher. It's the whole church. I wonder when the last time that was obeyed in the United States. I don't know. I just wonder. I, I bet it doesn't happen near as often as it's supposed to. Now, Matthew 18, 21 to 35 discusses or it defines a forgive, a forgiveness that comes from the heart. Peter thought he was doing good by offering to forgive a brother up to seven times in one day because supposedly the Jewish rabbis said that three times was enough. And so I guess he thought, well, if I double that, six, and add one to it, that's seven, man, I'm doing great. But the truth is, Jesus put no limit on forgiveness. True forgiveness comes from a love of the heart, a heart of love, I guess I should say. Love from the heart, a heart of love. And Scripture tells us that love keeps no record of wrongs. 1 Corinthians 13.5 says, I'm going to get it over here in my beloved New King James Version. Do not, love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, and I'm missing something here. Is it in the American Standard Version? Taketh no account of evil. The ESV says, well, not what I was looking for. It says, uh, not irritable, not resentful. I thought there was a translation that carried out the idea that ASV does about takes no account of evil, uh, no no record of wrong done. Doesn't doesn't keep up. But all right, look, folks. My, my point is a forgiving heart. Matthew eighteen twenty one to thirty five. Not I've kept up with how many times I've forgiven you, and I'm done. I'm through with you. What's the, so you think? But Aaron, if somebody does you wrong. Over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Aren't you supposed to be wise and just stay away from them? All right, first of all, Jesus is speaking about brethren in the church, okay? Not people in the world. Number two, Jesus said also, Luke 17, 3, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and, and seven times in a day says to you, returns to you, saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. So, as Jesus taught in this parable, Matthew, let me get back to it, Matthew 18, if the king could forgive the servant's debt of whatever, $12 million, Certainly the servant could forgive his friend's debt of about $15. This is in Matthew 18, 21 to 34. Okay. As Christians, we're to forgive others because Christ has forgiven us. Christ forgives us when we repent. He does not forgive people without repentance. That cannot be proved. He extends forgiveness to people who have not repented, but it's not enjoyed until a person repents and obeys God. The same concept is true of brothers and sisters. 
when they have wronged us, we follow this pattern of Matthew 18, and when they repent, we graciously forgive them. And that means we let it go. We don't bring it up. We let it go. Jesus said in this parable, And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him, the one that wouldn't forgive. So my heavenly Father also will do to you throwing a person who will not forgive to those who will torture. If each of you, from his heart, does not forgive his brother, his trespasses. And that's serious. In this chapter, there's at least two great things taught, greatness and forgiveness. And I think the two need to be tied together. They're in the same chapter. Greatness includes forgiving our brothers and sisters who are penitent. Forgive them. What does that mean? You don't hold it to their account. You don't say, hey, you remember back 20 years ago? You remember last week? You remember yesterday? No, if they've repented, if they have shown penitence, if they've asked for forgiveness, they're. I want to offer some suggest suggestions, though, because admittedly going to a brother who has wronged you is not, is not easy. Whether it's someone we, 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 we don't know very well or someone we know very well and we're very close and tight with them, it, it, it can be challenging. Let me offer this suggestion. I've had good people say, what would I say to them? How do I say what I need to say to them? They've done me wrong. How do I say it? What do I say? I'm not telling you that this is the only way you can handle it, but I'm suggesting that this is a way it can be handled. It's truth. It's simple. And as long as you mean it, it's sincere. If someone has done you wrong, meet with them. Meeting with them in person trumps phone calls, emails, and cards. Meeting in person allows two people to read body language. It is more effective than a card. I'm not saying it's wrong to send a card. There are situations when sending a card is a way to break the ice, but let it be also a step in the direction to meet in person. Okay, Not the be-all, end-all. Well, I send a card, that's good to go. No, that can be a way to reach out and make contact when you had not had contact with someone in a while and it's become very unhealthy. But meeting in person, meet them in person, Sit down with them and say, hey, you, you may know what I'm coming to you about. I haven't seen you in a while, or it's been a long time since I've been to church, or you've been to church, or whatever the situation may be. And say something like this, hey, look, sometime back when we had our words or when this or that happened between me and you, it hurt me. You sinned against me. You lied to me. You called me names. Whatever it is, and say, look, I'm not here to point out your sin. I'm here because I want to be right with God, and I want to be right with you. And see what they say. If they've wronged you, see what they say. If they show tenderness of hearts and penitence, say, look, I extend forgiveness. God has forgiven me and my life. And I extend it to you too. I want to be right with God. 
Jesus said that if I, I don't forgive my brothers from the heart, I will be delivered to the torturers. Folks, that's terrifying. We should not want Jesus to deliver us to the place of torture because we won't extend forgiveness to people who have wronged us. And we dare not say, well, they need to come to me. They've done me wrong. No, Matthew 18, 15 says, if they've done Aaron wrong, Aaron is to go and tell that person their faults between Aaron and that person alone. And if I learn that I have wronged someone, Matthew 5 addresses this, I think. Matthew 5.23, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. If you know your brother's got something against you, that would be because you wronged them. First person. If I have wronged Barry O'Dell, and I know it, or I learn later and I know it, I am to leave my gift at the altar and I am to go to my brother and reconcile to my brother Barry. Period. I can't say, well, Barry's got to come to me. No, 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 no. There's no circumstance where I get to say I don't have to go to them. So that means when there's two parties, because this is what this is addressing, there's two parties involved, then two parties, both parties are to come and meet in the middle, as we say, come to each other. Folks, when's the last time you obeyed Matthew 18, 15 through 20? The way Jesus said to obey it. I don't have a mirror in front of me, a physical mirror, and I'm looking into the, the figurative mirror of God's Word as I look down on the literal pages of God's written Word. Aaron, when's the last time you followed Matthew 18, 15 through 20? Jesus supports that we follow these things. And if we follow these things, whatever has already been bound in heaven will be bound on earth. And God will be Christ, God the second person of the Godhead, will be with us when two or three people gather to practice these matters. That's what Matthew 18.20 is about. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. That's not talking about worshiping when you're in the woods and there's a tent and there's not a church building nearby. I'm not saying you can't do that, but that's not. this passage is not talking about that. This, this statement of Jesus, Matthew 18.20, is saying that Jesus is there with us when we practice what he's told us to do in verses 15 through 20, and he will bless us for it. He's with us, and they've gathered by his authority to carry out this discipline. Keep that in mind, that the Lord is with us when you, when you go to talk to your brother or your sister that, 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 that you're not right with. That's my suggestion. Just go to them and say, look, I'm not right with God, I'm, and, and I need to be reconciled to you. I want to be right with God, and I want to be right with you. If, 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 if I know that I have sinned against my good friend, Barry O'Dell, the right thing to do is go to Barry and say something along the lines of, Barry, I've sinned against you. I've done wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm wrong. And I want to be right with God and I want to be right with you. 
Will you please forgive me? You know, it's easy to just drag up. Well, they did this. They did that. They didn't do this. They didn't do that. This is how it hurt. And I'm not saying you can't talk about other things with each other, but it, but it, but it's not a let's get historical meeting where we go back through all the stuff. No, you go to them and you tell them the fault so that you might be reconciled to each other. So we keep that in mind, and we, we have the spirit of gentleness and kindness when we go to someone, Galatians 6, 1, so that we can, so that we can help win them over or so that we can show them we done, we've done them wrong and we want to be right with God and we want to be right with them. We ask them to forgive us. Both ways it takes humility. It takes a proper understanding of God's Word, a proper perspective of self, and a proper perspective of others. Greatness, forgiveness, they go hand in hand. Now, this has been a long one. I, if you're still with me, I hope that means this has been a blessing to you. And if it has, will you do me a favor and click like on this episode so that I can know that at least one soul stayed with me for 49 minutes and was blessed by this? I hope and pray. Father in heaven, I hope that this episode has been a blessing to at least one soul. In Christ I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast, the Aaron J. Dodson Podcast, which is powered by the Washington Avenue Church of Christ, the good congregation located at 2001 West Washington Avenue in Jonesboro, Arkansas. If you're ever in our area, come and visit us. If you're a local and you're looking for a Bible church, you're looking for a church that believes the Bible, that believes the gospel, that um, you know loves Christ, believes He is the Lord and Savior, and wants to only follow the Word of God, not commentaries and not traditions, then, hey, please consider at least coming and studying God's Word with us, and you're invited to come and be with us at worship. We have services on Sundays at 9 a.m. for Bible class, 10 a.m. for worship, and 5 p.m. for worship. And on Wednesday nights, we have Bible classes at 7 p.m. Our Bible classes on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. and our Bible classes on Wednesday night at 7 p.m. are for all ages, from cradle roll all the way up to 110 years old. You're invited and you can have a place, there's a place where you can study God's Word with us. If you have any questions, any Bible questions, reach me. You can find me on social media. Reach me, uh, reach out to me, and I'll be glad to try to answer your question best I can. Thank you so much for listening. God bless, and I will catch you next time.